Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. It is good to be back with you and to have you with us tonight. Open your Bibles to the book of Titus. Titus is where we are going to to be for the duration of uh, of our time together. Uh, the uh, the slide will make a little sense here and in just a moment as we talk a little bit and kind of introduce the book of Titus. Titus is not a book that is uh, as popular as some of the other books in Scripture. If you had to maybe pick the most popular or the most talked about or maybe um, studied book of the New Testament, what do you think it would be? Guesses? I'm not saying I know the answer. I'm just curious. Okay, John. So one of the Gospels, uh, James. Uh, the first one of the first that comes to my mind, or two that come to my mind, are First Corinthians and Romans. You know, those are two very popular books. They're full of of doctrinal type things, so they're kind of a go to study type and lesson type uh, uh, book. Um, when I think about kind of the pastoral epistles, First Timothy is is really uh, the most popular one. Uh, Titus is kind of tucked back there um, in between 2 Timothy uh, and, and Hebrews kind of as uh, I kind of look at it as the third child of the uh, pastoral epistles there. And as I've learned, the, the more children you have, the, the less attention it seems like all the kids get, or at least that's how they feel, I guess. Um, and so we're going to spend some time looking at the book of Titus because Titus really is just an amazing little book. It's only 48 or 46 verses long. Um, it's one of those books that we can sit and read um, very quickly. Uh, I want to read you some things that other people have written about the book of Titus. Um, one preacher says that it is a miniature manual for ministers and includes several outstanding doctrinal statements. Uh, another guy says the apostle's instructions to his entrusted lieutenant have extraordinary contemporary relevance. And we need to hear Paul's thoughts. One of my favorites is this short uh, epistle contains all that is needful for Christian knowledge and life. Now that's a powerful statement about a letter that's only... 46 verses long as, as we have numbered them. That in those 46 verses, we can find all that is needed in doctrine, knowledge, and life. So for that to be a statement of someone describing this book, it makes it sound like the things in this book are, are very, very important. I think I read somewhere that there are 46 words, very specific words, in this letter that are not found anywhere else in Scripture. And so because of how important of a book that it is, we're going to spend some time studying about this island missionary that is um, being charged by Paul here. But tonight, we're not going to get too deep into anything tonight. We're really just going to kind of introduce the book uh, and talk about some kind of introduction points, set the stage for the book, and then next week, we will get into more of what we might call a, a a more common lesson. Now, on Sunday nights, I just want to tell you a little bit about 
the way I like to do Sunday nights, and it's kind of come about um, in, in in an interesting way, I guess. Uh, when when we were at Kingston, they told me, they said, as we're getting ready for Sunday night, I'm like, okay, you know, what, what are things like? And they go, well, Sunday night's kind of like a sermon, but it's not really a sermon, and it's kind of like church, but it's really not like church, and it's kind of like class, but not really like class. Now, does anybody have any idea what that means? I had no clue either. Uh, and so what it kind of became was our Sunday nights were a lot more laid back. There were a lot of Sunday nights. We didn't even have a song leader show up to lead singing. So I kind of just took the entire night or the entire hour and, and really just, it really was more of a classroom kind of laid back set, laid back setting. And, and so that's, that's really what I'm used to on Sunday nights. And, and I'm going to try to, to weave the church service class setting all into kind of one uh, mixture and, and we'll kind of get through this um, maybe new normal together. Uh, so as we looking forward to Sunday nights, that's going to be kind of what I look for, look to kind of creating an environment of for us. Before we get into our real thoughts, though, let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you for the time that we have tonight. I thank you for this, albeit short letter, this amazing letter that Paul took the time to write in an effort to charge and to uh, encourage a young minister, God. For that, I, I understand, and I'm very grateful for the relationship that these two must have had uh, to the point that even today we still have the ability to grow <coughs> in amazing ways from the reading of Paul's letter. So I pray tonight that we open up our hearts, that we open up our minds, that we allow your spirit to move within us, convict us in the areas that are necessary, and allow those convictions to, to lead us to change. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's talk about some things together. Here is, let's go to the first slide up there. Um, we're going to ask some questions. We're going to ask four questions tonight and talk about some things. The first question is this. Who wrote the book? Well, if you go to the very first uh, verse, we see very quickly that who wrote the book? Paul. Paul wrote the book. Paul wrote this book to, to a young man uh, named Titus who he had spent a lot of time with, who he had uh, ministered to, who he had uh, converted to Christianity. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But Paul... Really what you see in, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, this is Matthew's kind of perspective here, what you see is Paul taking the opportunity to pass the baton, okay? You, you, you read in, in the book of Acts about all these great, amazing things that Paul did and these churches that Paul went out and he established on behalf of Christ and through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is really at the forefront, especially amongst the Gentiles, he's really at the forefront of making all of this happen. That's what God had called him to do. And now he's a little bit older in his life, maybe uh, he, he's not as... Um, He's not able to travel as much. He, he gets to the point to where he's, you know, he's in prison from time to time as he's having to write books and letters. And so what he's done through this time is he's discipled these other young men to take up the mantle and carry it on. And so here we have him writing this carry on the business of God letter. 
to a young man who has shown up on an island who is fixing to work and do some amazing missionary stuff. Uh, and he's riding him to, to charge him with some things, to encourage him in some things. And it's just a very powerful way that he writes. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, we see on the slide here, uh, Titus is in Crete, which is this little island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And then if you look up in the, the picture up top, you see Corinth and Athens. Right above Athens is Macedonia, which is where Paul is writing this letter. Uh, Crete itself is 160 miles long. And depending on where you're standing, is anywhere from 30 to 70 miles wide. Now, you know how big that is? That's little. Okay, it's so big, it's little. Just this little bitty place. I know we've done some cruising from time to time. Uh, I remember one of the islands that we went to, uh, it was so small that you could see the ships on the other side of the island, you know, in, in port on the other side. And, and this is how this island, you know, existed. Just this really small place in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And, and that is where the scene kind of takes place. Go to the next slide. Who is this letter or whom is this letter written to? If you go to verse four, he writes to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Now, David is teaching from, uh, first Timothy and into second Timothy today. And as Paul has a habit to those people that he's extremely close to of calling them his son. And I think that's such a powerful, powerful thing, relationship. Um, you know, we talked this morning about the importance of family and the importance of having those relationships with each other. Paul was not the biological father of these two guys, of Timothy and of Titus. But he looked at them and felt a connection with them that was very father-like. That he had brought them to Christ or had encouraged them further in their relationship with Christ to the point that he was their spiritual dad. When they needed things spiritually, who was the first person they turned to? It probably was Paul. And he had this deep, intimate relationship with them. And it is such a telling thing for him to refer to him as his son in the faith. Now, Paul, in his, in his ministry, we see Titus kind of show up uh, as he is ministering in Corinth. And Corinth is, if you will, it's the Las Vegas of the day. It is a very sinful place, a very pagan place, and it is during this time that, that Titus kind of shows up on these missionary journeys with Paul. Paul was the one that, that we're going to assume brings Titus into a spiritual relationship with God. But what is the difference? What's the big difference between Titus and Timothy? Timothy's part what? Greek and part Jewish. Titus is completely what? Greek. He's completely a Gentile. He's completely a pagan, if you will. He's raised in a completely different environment than Timothy was. Timothy is a guy that you, as you read the letters, especially at the beginning of chapter, of 2 Timothy chapter 1, you know, you almost get the impression that despite his Greek background, Timothy was raised to be a preacher. 
You know, you, you kind of get that impression. I, I don't necessarily get that impression from what we learn from Titus. I, I, and this is just commentary, that it may be that Titus is, is brought out of a very sinful life into a relationship with God. And Paul trains him, and he encourages him, and he really becomes Paul's poster child for the grace of Jesus. He really becomes Paul's poster child for the grace of Jesus. Because as Titus is traveling with him, what is the biggest challenge to the early church? The biggest challenge to the early church are these Jewish Christians still trying to hold on to all of the Jewish tradition, to the old law. And it's understandable. It's understandable. We kind of talk about it today like you know, they should have just given that up. But, you know, I mean, for thousands and thousands of years, these Jews were God's chosen people. That's, they had been told their whole lives, God loves you more than anybody else. And the reason they had been told that is because that's what God said. He says, I love you more than everybody else. And now all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, he dies on the cross, and here's all these missionaries coming around going, you used to be the most important, but you're not anymore. You're still important, but not because of your heritage, but because of the Son of God. Now, do you see how that could be really hard to adjust to? It would be like someone coming in and telling you that your favorite football team that you've been pulling for your whole life is moving away and you've got to pull for somebody else. I was watching the, some sports stuff or listening to some sports stuff the other day and political correctness is everywhere in our world today and they were discussing whether or not the Atlanta Braves should change their name because of the negative connotation to, to, to Indians in our country. If they're not the Atlanta Braves, I don't know if I can pull for them. Cause they've been the Braves my whole life. I've been, I've learned them this one way. And if it changes, I don't know what I'm going to do. Now that seems real silly, right? But maybe it gives you just a little bit different mindset of what these Jewish Christians are trying to figure out. And they deserved just as much grace and compassion as they tried to figure it out as anybody else did. But as they're struggling with that, Paul brings Titus onto the scene and says, this is proof that all the things that you're worried about doesn't amount to anything. Here is a man that is totally pagan, totally Gentile. He has come to Christ. He has accepted Christ as his Savior through his baptism. He has been saved. He has become a member of the body of Christ. And here he is, just the poster boy of grace. And as Paul travels on missionary journeys, he takes him. As Paul comes back to Jerusalem to discuss this, he takes him. In Galatians chapter 2, he tells the churches, look, this, this guy, I never made him change who he was because somebody was going to, was wanting to force him to do things a different way. No. He says, this guy only depends on the grace of God and nothing else. Now, why do I keep talking about this? Because we are Gentiles, right? We're not Jews. And the only thing that we can rely on, the only thing that gives us hope is the grace of God. That's it. That's the only thing that gives us hope. It's the grace of God. 
So we have a lot more in common with Titus than we might believe. So that is who this story is written to. Now, where is Titus? Let's go to the next slide. Where is Titus? He has been left on the island of Crete. Now, how many of you have traveled to tropical islands? Show of hands. How many of you would love to just be left on a tropical island? Just take me and leave me. Um, go to the next slide. We, we've done, this was from our, our, our honeymoon trip. Um, this is in Jamaica from the boat, y'all. Jamaica is gorgeous from the boat. Okay? It's gorgeous from the boat. You get off the boat and it is poor and it is dirty. And so this was 10 years ago. And y'all, we did something real stupid, okay? So, you know, you can book your excursions through the cruise company and do all these fun things on the island. No, we weren't going to do that. That was going to be too expensive. We just find this random guy that's going to give us a tour of, of the island, you know. And looking back now, I'm like, that was the dumbest thing we could have done because he could have taken us and we would have never seen America again. So this picture on the, on the left up here up top... um is the prettiest view, but he takes us to the top of this hill and there's these people up there and like they want us to pay them to smell their herbs. And I'm like, that's when it dawned on me that this was a really bad idea, you know. This was a really bad idea. And But I mean, it was an amazing, the picture is amazing, you know. If you talk to missionaries that do island mission work, they will tell you that island mission work is completely different than any other mission field because the islands are just different. They're laid back. You know, no, nobody's in a hurry because hey, if you live on an island that's 160 miles wide and long and 30 miles wide, guess what? There's nowhere to go. Okay, there's nowhere to go. You're not in a hurry to get anywhere. It's a very, especially in today's culture in these Caribbean islands and, and different things, you know, it's very transient, very touristy. People are coming into work and making money and leaving. It is people who don't want, you know, they don't want to be found. Just leave me alone. They're not really interested in a relationship with God. And as you read through the book of Titus, and we're going to look at some of these issues and some of these challenges, you see that that Titus was facing the same type of environment in this island. He was facing the same type of people. He was face, facing, facing these Cretan Gentiles who had this, hey, we're just on island time mentality. The Judaizers who believed that they were the only ones that were truly spiritual enough to be right with God. And here Titus is standing in the middle of them going, how in the world do I deal with this? Let's look maybe in a more biblical perspective here of what he's dealing with. Verse 10 of chapter 1. For there are many rebellious people. This is a description of the church there that he's working with. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So these people who claim to have all of this knowledge of God, uh, we, we've been God's chosen people forever, they're causing problems. And not just causing problems, they're benefiting from the problems. And so he says these Jews, these Jewish Christians, they're a problem you're going to have to deal with. And then if you look in verse 12, he says one of Crete's 
own prophets. It says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Now, I guess the reason they had to send a missionary was because they couldn't hire a preacher. You know, if that's the description that you put of your church on the job posting for a new preacher, how many do you think are going to show up to interview? None. But it was a group of Christians that needed, they needed someone to come and help change their reputation. Now, Paul was honest and blunt. I like that about Paul. He was very blunt with the description of who these people are that he's going to work with. You know, I wonder, I wonder if, I don't know when he receives this letter. I wonder if he gets his orders from Paul along with this letter. That he's like, I know I'm going to this island mission field. And as I'm on my way, I'm opening up and I'm reading this letter of my instructions from Paul. To me, that makes sense. Um, because he's kind of warning him of the things that are, are coming. But the question then becomes, as we kind of transition to our last thought here, is why was the letter written in the first place? Well, why did he need this letter? Why did he need these instructions? Verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders. So he says, you need to put in order some things that are going on and you need to appoint elders in this church. Now, if you go back to chapter 2 of the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, there is a list of 16 different cultures that are represented there at in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. One of those groups of people were from the island of, take a wild guess, Crete. And so on that day, Christians, or people from this island became Christians. And so what naturally would have happened here? They would have, they may have been among some of that group that stayed in Jerusalem for a while, but then by the point that everybody was scattered out a few chapters later, they would have gone home and they would have begun to establish the Lord's church on this island. Now, I'm sure they had spiritual gifts and they had guidance, but you, you don't read of a lot of um, apostle interaction in this little island at all. And I'm sure it had become very easy from from the day of Pentecost to the day that they believe this letter is written is about a decade's difference. And in that decade, a lot of issues had come up. Just imagine for a moment the Ninth Avenue Church here without elders for 10 years. Now, even good churches with great elders have problems, right? You're going to always have problems. Now, preferably, you want to have growing church problems and not dying church problems, but either way, you're going to have problems, right? Imagine having those problems and no men there to really lead. So, when I was in Arkansas, we had a situation that came about, and I'll tell you more about that situation at some other time, but all the elders and all the deacons resigned while I was on vacation, Okay, and I'm really thinking, do I have to go back? Like, do I have to? I mean, do I have to go back? And so we have our first men's meeting after this incident and after these elders and deacons resign. And guess who was in charge? Everybody. Every man in that room 
felt that they were in charge. Why? Because there was no true group of leaders in that room. No elders. No, and I had been there. We'd been there, what, three, four months? I mean, we had not been there very long at all. And uh, the youth director came in and quit on me the next Sunday. And I probably shouldn't have, but I threw my Bible across my desk. And I looked at him, I go, if you quit, the only one that's left to quit is me. And I have to stay because I need the money. And he saw it all over my face. He goes, okay, I won't quit. I won't quit. So he's the only one I convinced, you know, to, to stay doing what he was doing. But imagine the problem. Every time a problem would come up in this church, there's no one really there to deal with it. It's just kind of probably a free-for-all. You've got your opinion. I've got my opinion. Nobody's really in charge. So all of these problems, you, you, you hear the description of these people. And so over a 10-year period, you end up dealing with stubborn legalists. You know, people like we talked this morning, those wordsmith Christians, that it's all about, you know, making sure we get everything to the letter of the law, you know, and not in a positive way, but in a way that makes our burden very heavy to where Jesus says, hey, come to me, my burden is what? Light. You have passive and lazy island dwellers who are not in a hurry to get anywhere. You have false teachers who, who stood against the truth. And you have those who maybe taught the truth and yet lived a lie. And so here is Titus and he walks into this island and it looks beautiful from the outside. But as he gets into his ministry, he sees that it is an absolute wreck of a group of people. But, that's where God's grace does its best work. It's with people whose lives are a wreck. And we're going to read how Paul instructs Titus to deal with these things and overcome these things and to minister to these people and show them the same grace that he was shown in his life. Now, I'm going to give you some homework. You like homework? If I give you homework, will you do it? I probably wouldn't, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. In this little book, there is a phrase that appears six times. Okay, There's a phrase that appears six times in this book. I want you to find it, write it down, and see if you get it right next week. And it's not like a word like and or if or therefore. Like it's a, it's a legitimate phrase that is shown or written six times in this book. Next week I want to see if you've taken the time to study and find it. Like I said, hey, in my Bible it's a page and a half long. Like that's a good hour's worth of reading for me, but some of you might be able to read faster than that. All right. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your devotion to the Word of God. And I pray that through our study, we can grow closer together to each other, to God, and be more Spirit-filled. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, 
which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.